0: Good afternoon. It's Midday Magazine for Monday, August 28th, and I'm Shelby Herbert. At last week's meeting, Petersburg's assembly set a new precedent for the sale of borough-owned tidelands. Here's more on the marine diesel repair facility at the heart of the issue. The owners of Wecon Enterprises Incorporated have been in the game for over 30 years. Now, Sherry and John Wecon are looking to retire and sell their business. The thing is, they own the building at 103A Dock Street, but they don't own the land beneath it. That's because their property is leased through what's called the Marine Industrial Park, which is managed by the borough. Now, the WECON family's potential buyers, Earl Warner and Hillary McDonald, are having trouble securing financing because they can't purchase the business outright. McDonald says that's because the banks don't consider it a real property. The market value of the building, as we've learned through this process, is drastically reduced. And so while a bank will loan on a leasehold improvement... The value is not there, which there's a huge difference between the current market value as it stands and the asking price and what the WECONs need to get in order to retire how they planned. In order to offload their repair shop, the WECONs are petitioning to buy the land they've leased for decades. In her public testimony, Sherry Weekon asked the Assembly if holding onto the property is more important to them than any potential economic benefits to Petersburg, with special attention to their primary customers in the fishing industry.
1: We have also lost a lot of shipyard businesses to Wrangell, South Seattle, Bellingham, and other small shipyards. Can
0: Petersburg fishermen afford to lose more support to keep their fishing vessels running safely and efficiently? Assemblymember Scott Newman says the original concept of a leaseholder agreement already served its purpose, reserving the marine industrial park for marine businesses. Now, he says, it doesn't really work for the community.
1: Uh, I feel like the borough's responsibility to the public is to encourage economic growth and not to inhibit it. I feel like we need to be in a good working relationship with our service providers. That includes an exit strategy for the people that have businesses to be able to transition and move on.
0: Assemblymember Donna Marsh echoed Newman's desire to encourage local business growth. She also said it's important to her that the particular services offered by WECON Enterprises prevail. We've
2: got a critical business here, a diesel marine repair shop that I know when commercial fishermen are dead in the water, that's it.
0: (laughs) Assembly member Bob Lynn pushed back, saying it's a slippery slope. I think we're also setting a precedent
1: because once we sell one, I see no reason that the assembly should not sell all the
0: rest. And that could mean the borough won't be able to collect rent on all the waterfront property that gets sold down the line. There are 11 other properties in this kind of arrangement, netting the harbor department around $160,000 a year. Harbor master Glorianne Wollen also has some reservations. She asked the assembly to think about how the resolution could affect long-term projects on the waterfront. There are several waterfront leases that are located within other harbor enterprise locations. And I'm interested on how the assembly evaluates future development that sometimes takes decades to plan versus immediate needs of an individual nestled within the property that the harbor has interest in. The resolution to approve the Weekon Families application passed. Barely members Bob Lynn, Jeff Neucci and Dave Kensinger all voted against it. And with that part out of the way, the assembly unanimously voted to exempt the sale of the land from public auction. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. It's been a tough year for commercial salmon fishers. 3 years of huge returns in Bristol Bay created a surplus of sockeye in the market. That pushed base prices to historic lows, and economists are unsure of how long this glut will affect fishers' paychecks. Brian Venwa reports from Kodiak.
2: Mike Frasero has fished for salmon for over four decades. He says he was expecting a low price for bristol Bay salmon this summer, but didn't think rumors were true about how low it would drop. You know, our processor gave us a letter, uh, a narrative,
1: before the season started saying that, you know, pricing conditions weren't great but that they were going to go after it with all the resources that they utilized last year as far as tendering and logistics
2: um, and resources in general. They asked if we would do the same. Towards the end of the season, processors announced a base price of just 50 cents per pound, the lowest in decades when adjusted for inflation. Fishers can get bonuses for better quality, but Frasero says even with the boost, he was better off gearing up to fish for other species like halibut. So if you're catching 5,000 pounds and you're thinking 80 cents, then
1: your crew share might be $400. Well, that's worth doing, you know, for, for folks. But once it drops into the lower figures, if you have crew that have uh, talent, they've got
2: other things they want to get over to. Frasero says he usually leaves shortly after the peak anyway, but he wasn't the only one packing up before August. The Bristol bay base price for sockeye was one of the lowest prices for Alaskan salmon in recent history. Since then, Triton has dropped their price for chum down to just 20 cents per pound and announced they'll stop buying salmon from most communities in Alaska starting September 1st. Fishermen across the state are wondering how long low salmon prices will last. Some are even considering selling their boats. Gunnar Knapp is an economist who specializes in the state's fisheries. He says for the sake of both fishermen and processors, he hopes this is just a one-year blip instead of the beginning of a long pattern.
3: You get the lowest price you've ever gotten while you've been working just as hard as you ever did, and other expenses like fuel and so on have gone up. It puts fishermen in a really tough position. I think processors would say that they're also in a really tough position and their companies are on the line.
2: Knapp was visiting family in Maryland when he saw in retail stores that wild-caught seafood is now selling for the same price as farmed fish. He says he's not surprised but still disappointed knowing the amount of work processors and fishermen do to produce high-quality products.
3: I was in uh, local Costco yesterday, and you know, I saw in that Costco farmed Atlantic fillets from Chile, farmed Atlantic fillets from Norway, and wild Alaska sockeye all selling for $10.99 a pound.
2: The Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute is funded by the state legislature to stir demand for Alaskan products. Greg Smith, ASME's communications director, says there just isn't enough demand to keep up with the glut of fish.
3: There's difficult issues just in the in the global marketplace. Inflation, you know, increased of cost of living, shipping costs, and just, a, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So there, there are just significant challenges.
2: Fishers even started the season with some processors still holding frozen product from last year's harvest. ASME received an extra $5 million in funding this year to better compete in global markets, but even with that extra funding, staff are unsure if their short-term efforts, like retail displays and working with food writers, will help much. Smith says one of ASME's bigger projects is investing in new markets across the globe.
3: We're focusing on emerging markets, Latin America, parts of Africa. We're doing some things in Israel, but it is just really trying to build off the strength of the brand.
2: Smith says ASME has had some success with retail and restaurants and even worked with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to include salmon in purchases for school lunches and food banks. Frasero says with lower salmon prices, though, he's able to keep a decent paycheck, but will have to be wary of his budget for next year. He says he hopes market conditions improve over the winter. The low prices this year have pushed several fishers to call for better transparency from processors. Frasero says a guaranteed minimum price would be the best possible starting point to build more trust you're looking for transparency,
1: anything would improve it, right? Because there's almost none. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're
2: being mistreated in any way. It's just very hard to have a conversation with no information. Regardless, Fercero says he'll be back to fish more next year. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venwa.
0: The Dillingham City School District wants to start growing its own greens. The district, which recently received $150,000 from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, plans to buy a hydroponic tank where students and staff can raise produce for school lunches. The money comes as part of the Department of Agriculture's effort to fund nutritious meals in rural schools. Phil Hewlett is the school district's business manager and food service director. He says the district plans to integrate the 40-foot tank into the school's curriculum.
3: It's going to incorporate into the elementary science curriculum, uh, the middle high school science curriculum, as well as an economics class. They're going to do kind of a a price point study and um, a marketing scheme and sell some of the excess that we get from the farm.
0: Produce is costly in Bristol Bay, even in the growing season. A head of lettuce, for example, currently costs about $7 at AC, one of two grocery stores in Dillingham. And in winter, unless it's frozen or grown in a private greenhouse, produce travels hundreds if not thousands of miles to get there, which can result in wilting, bruised veggies.
3: The problem, it always is transportation. You know, whenever it gets to the airport, then the cargo company, if the weather's bad out here, then it sits in the cargo. Sometimes it freezes, sometimes it sits for a couple days. So the product quality is usually a lot lower.
0: Hydroponic tanks can grow food year round. In a tank, plants are placed above a tub of water with nutrients in it. The plant receives nutrients from the tub. Hydroponic tanks actually require less water and save space compared to traditional gardens. Hewlett says the district is planning to invest in a tank built for Arctic winters. According to Hewlett, the tank will cost the district about $2,000 in electricity each month. But he says they've weighed this cost against the amount spent on produce, the health benefits to students, and the teaching opportunities that the tank would offer.
3: With the electrical cost and then also the the component with the science curriculum and the teaching aspect, that's kind of how we've we've justified that electrical cost.
0: Hewlett says the school is considering applying for grant funding to buy solar panels that would help power the tank, reducing its electricity bill. Dillingham won't see school-grown produce right away. According to Hewlett, the district anticipates receiving the funds in October. They plan to get the tank set up next summer. Petersburg school district also received a similar grant from the Healthy Meals and Incentives Program this summer, amounting to $111,000. A new hydroelectric project on Admiralty Island has the green light four decades after it was approved by Congress. In late June, the U.S. Forest Service granted a special-use permit for a small-scale hydro plant on Thayer Creek, near the town of Angoon. The local Alaska Native Village Corporation is now going after construction funding for the project, which is expected to fully replace costly diesel power. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka.
1: The construction of a run-of-river hydro development in the Admiralty Island National Monument was authorized by ANILCA, the 1980 Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act. The project is being propelled by Koutsnawu, Inc., Angoon's village corporation. It's unusual for a native corporation to build a public utility. John Wunrow, Kuznawu's director of natural resources, believes the right people were in the room as Anilka was being hammered out by the presidential administration at the time.
2: My hunch is that the leaders from Mangoon who went to D.C. and met with Jimmy Carter to kind of broker this part of the deal probably had representation from the village corp and i think that's maybe how they got named
1: thayer creek is about three miles from angoon over the past few years Kutsnuu has used a five million dollar grant from the alaska energy authority to plan and engineer a dam power plant and utility tunnel back to town one row says two major barriers remain
2: one is we still have to complete the heritage work to make sure that there aren't any historic or cultural items of significance that will be disturbed in any way.
1: An archaeological team from the U.S. Forest Service is on site doing that work this summer. The second barrier could take more time. And then we need funding. One row says Thayer Creek Hydro is an unfunded federal project authorized by Congress but with no money to build it. One row says this partly explains why Angoon never moved forward with the project There was always an expectation that the federal government would follow through with the $30 million or so needed for construction. Steadily rising fuel prices helped to change that attitude. Electricity in Angoon costs up to eight times more than in the lower 48. The crunch motivated Kutsnawu to take the initiative about three years ago to plan the project without federal support. And then came President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill, which includes $1 billion for energy improvements in rural or remote areas. The ERA program, for short, is tailored to build energy resilience and affordability in communities of under 10,000 people. One row says this is Angoon's shot to connect with funding that's four decades overdue.
3: This is really the first potentially the only funding of this size
2: specifically for rural areas to do renewable energy. So it's kind of got Thayer written all over it. So we're, we're hopeful.
1: If it comes to fruition, Kootznewu will own the Thayer Creek Hydro Project, but it will be operated by the Inside Passage Electric Cooperative, or IPEC, which currently supplies electricity to Angoon from diesel. Affordable hydropower could revolutionize life for Angoon's 500 residents. Thayer Creek's 850 kilowatts would fully replace the existing diesel plant, which would be preserved as a backup. The total savings will be 250,000 gallons of fuel annually, worth about $1 million. The project would be built upstream of a natural salmon barrier, so no fish would be harmed. If we could just stabilize the cost of power, that would be a big win for Angoon, says One row. But we're also hoping it ushers in an era of electric motors, electric cars, electric boats, and heat pumps. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Wolsey.
0: For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.